Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler, and today I want to talk about something that hasn't happened yet, but a lot of Orioles fans think it should, and that's a player extension. Now, you know, let's lay the base here a little bit for, for where the Orioles are at. The Orioles are really good on the field, at least they were in 2023, and although there's some projections out there that have them uh, taking a step back this year, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point between now and opening day. In general, it's it's accepted that the Orioles are going to be pretty good again in 2024 and beyond. Um, so the on-field product is good, and it's also very young. There's a lot of very talented, very young players that we'll get into in just a moment. Add into that, that there's a new ownership group in town headed by David Rubenstein that has not technically in control just yet, but is likely going to be in control by opening day. And if not, then at some point this summer. That brings a lot of new cash into it, uh, allegedly brings a lot of passion and, and local ties into it that you would think should be, you know, put out in terms of reinvesting in the ball club that they are, you know, spending a pretty penny to acquire. You So you take that with where the Orioles are, and then you look at the landscape of baseball and specifically something that the Kansas City Royals just did, and that was give Bobby Witt Jr. a massive 11-year, $288.7 million deal to make him the face of a, a team that's much worse on the field and, to my knowledge, doesn't have as bright of a future as the Orioles. They've, they've paid him a ton of money to make him the face of, of a franchise. That um, That's something that the Orioles have not done to this point. And, and it's not just the Royals with Bobby Wood Jr., but a lot of stuff that the Braves have done for years at this point in terms of locking up their young guys you know, before they've really broken out on the big league stage, but they've locked them up long-term, make them cost-controlled, and made the Braves, you know, even though they've got a, a more elevated payroll and more uh, slightly older players than a team like the Orioles, the Braves have as just a wide-open window as anybody else in baseball. Also, the Rays do it at maybe like a lower level where they sign these players before they even make a big league uh their big league debut. They signed into long-term deals. I remember they did that with Matt Moore years ago. They did it with Evan Longoria even before that. I don't think, I think Longoria had made his MLB debut, but still it was very early on. And they kept Evan Longoria, who was, I think probably an underrated player of his generation on the cheap for a really long time um, in Tampa. So the Royals are kind of sort of emulating the Ray strategy a little bit. The only difference is that Witt Jr. is already, made a splash. He's fantastic, like physically as physically gifted as anybody else in the game. Um, so it's kind of a, a melding of the brave strategy and the Ray strategy of getting a guy really young, but you're not exactly paying pennies on the dollar for him. Anyway, that's kind of the landscape of baseball right now is, is these players are usually and, and commonly getting these big extensions, you know, Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners uh, last year, they're getting these big extensions earlier on in their career. And it's kind of a win-win for both sides. Like, you know, the theory, I guess, from the team side is, hey, we're giving you money. Yes, we're giving you like, if you keep performing this way, we're giving you less money than you're worth. However, you don't know you're going to keep performing at that level. You could get hurt tomorrow. And because of baseball contracts being entirely guaranteed, you're getting this money regardless. Just because we really believe in you, or maybe you've done so much to this point that we we are confident in you or whatever, so you can kind of see it from both sides there, which is very different from how I feel it was when I was growing up and becoming a baseball fan is it seemed like teams would wait until the guy was a year, maybe two away from free agency, come to him and say like, hey, 
let's get a deal done now. We'll give you a, a premium, maybe not quite as much as you'd get if you hit the market, but we're going to give it to you now versus you needing to go through the whole free agency process. Like that was typically something you waited until they were a year or two from free agency to give out that deal. Nowadays, it's getting done far earlier. And what it's allowing the players to do is if they do consistently play well, they can kind of get out of that deal still at a young enough age where they can hit free agency oftentimes in their late 20s, early 30s, which isn't totally different from how that would be if they just kind of played out the string and played out those first six years of of cost-controlled years um, and then went on the free agent market the first time. It's not entirely different from that, but it's kind of putting off a couple years. Um, that's sort of the new in vogue thing. And to this point, the Orioles haven't done that. Um, but there's been a lot of clamoring from ownership, not from ownership rather, but for the fan base to get ownership to invest in these young guys, specifically Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, because those are the guys we've kind of known about for a while now, um, have felt pretty confident about. And now we've seen after, you know, a year and a half, maybe almost two years of Adley and then a year plus of Gunner, like, all right, these dudes are legit. Like, let's keep them Orioles forever. You know, of course, it's not that simple, but that's kind of the, the, the thought there. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is because MLB.com put out uh, an article this week by Mark Feinsand that references the Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, signing and then the 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 article is titled, These Are Top Candidates for Next Long-Term Extension. I'll link to that uh, in either the description on YouTube, which, by the way, if you haven't gotten involved with us over on YouTube and you're hearing this in the podcast feed, please head on over there. It's been great, awesome engagement recently. Uh, a lot of people excited, especially with the Corbin Burns signing. We've got up to, I think, 135 subscribers there. We'd love to get it to 150 by opening day. I think I had set a goal of 100 by opening day like a few weeks ago, and you guys absolutely crushed that. So if we get to 200 by opening day, that would be insane. And, and we would just love to, to see the podcast continue to grow. But anyway, um, go over go over there and, and listen to it on YouTube. Or if you're on YouTube, go over to the podcast um, app of your choice and and look for us there. But anyway, um, there, there, was, there was an article on MLB.com about the top candidates for the next long-term extension. It references Bobby Witt Jr. And then specifically, it names who the best candidates are for not every single team, but a lot of teams. And there, there are some names that kind of fit that old school um, vision of when you sign an extension. And that would be Pete Alonzo, who's going to be a free agent after 2024. Um, then it gets like Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. with the Blue Jays. They are set to be free agents after 2025. And then there is an Oriole now that is kind of part of that as well. And that's going to be Corbin Burns. Sort of, you know, old school. He's a year away from free agency. Let's sign him now. Uh, that isn't something that the Orioles have done traditionally, or I'm sorry, recently, but it is something that may make sense in this situation. And the reason people think it might make sense is that this new ownership group might want to make a splash by getting a guy into the clubhouse and impressing him with how things are done, how the organizations run how promising this team could be like, Hey, you know, you came from Milwaukee, which no shade to Milwaukee. I think you could argue is a smaller market than Baltimore or is at least on par with Baltimore in a division that is traditionally a little bit weaker. So maybe a little easier path to the playoffs, but now you're in the AL East, like you're with the big dogs. You're going to be playing in Fenway park, Yankee stadium. You're going to play in Camden yards, which is considered a gem of a park. Like how cool is this new ownership group? Let's splash some cash and why not give it to a guy like Corbin Burns, who's, Already got a Cy Young on his resume, and hey, maybe he wins another one in 2024. We'll talk about that in a second. Two other guys it calls out on here, 
well, really three are Rutschman, Henderson, and it mentions Jackson Holiday, although it does not call him out um, in the same way that it calls out Henderson and Rutschman. But still, Jackson Holiday, I think, is definitely um, in play here. So let's talk about those three guys, um, because I do think what should be said is that those are the three, I'm sorry, the four rather with Holiday that I think you would talk about an extension with as an Orioles decision maker right now. Because if you go and look at, say, the 40-man roster, I think the only other guys you maybe would have those discussions with are potentially Braddish and Grayson Rodriguez. I think in terms of like these big um, extensions, I don't see anybody else really that fits that mold um, because it's a mix of, I think, younger guys that haven't really proven themselves. If you're thinking about like a a Jordan Westberg or then even some of the guys that um, debuted last year with Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser in, in terms of like Kerstad debuted late. Kowser debuted a little earlier, but really struggled. There's that sort of contingent that I think you probably don't know enough about yet to, to hand out an extension. And then you've got some older guys in terms of Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes. These are guys that are a year or two from free agency. They're very good major league quality players. Are they transcendent talents that you your franchise can't do without? I'm not so sure. I think those are more guys that if you're a good team, they can put you over the top a little bit. They can get you that extra win or two. They can bring you that element that maybe your lineup was lacking before. Obviously, they're currently in the Orioles lineup, and and I think we wouldn't necessarily want to see right now what a version of the Orioles lineup looks like without any of them. Um, we'll, we'll learn a lot about that this year, I think, with Kowser, Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, uh, Connor Norby potentially coming up and injecting their talent and we see what they can do and if they can displace any of what Hayes, Mullins, Santander can do. Um, I think in relation to that, uh, Austin Hayes, he recently just won his arbitration case with the Orioles or against the Orioles. And as part of that, his agent came out and said that Hayes would love to sign an extension with the Orioles. He'd love to stay an Oriole for life. Um, I, I think, you know, I believe that. I don't think Austin Hayes doesn't want to be in Oriole for life, but I think that's also sort of just the agent saying like, Hey, our guy loves it here. You know, he's a fan. I know he's a fan favorite. I'm trying to get every penny out of whatever team I can. And if it's the Orioles, so be it. And if it's not, that's fine as well. Um, I don't view Austin Hayes as a guy. The Orioles are going to sign to an extension unless it is an extremely team friendly kind of a deal. Um, the Orioles didn't sign Trey Mancini to an extension. I, I view Austin Hayes kind of in a similar vein as Trey Mancini in terms of, I think a good player to have while cost controlled. I think if the Orioles were looking around for a left fielder somewhere, didn't have as many outfielders in their minor league system as they do. Yeah. Maybe you give Austin Hayes a, a three or four year extension, um, but that's just not the situation they're in. So again, I don't view Austin Hayes as a guy that they're going to eye up right now. So as far as other guys that we're not going to talk about more in depth that I think could, it was going to be Braddish and Grayson Rodriguez. Obviously Braddish was spectacular all of 2024. He earned himself uh, a fourth place finish in AL Cy Young voting. Well-deserved Grayson Rodriguez bounced back from a really rough first half of his rookie season to be spectacular 
down the stretch. I think there's big things coming for both of them. I think also with pitchers, though, there is a lot more volatility there. Um, just in terms of injuries, obviously injuries happen to everybody, but pitchers especially, I think are prone to a big injury at some point in their career. The ones that don't get injured are far and few between, and obviously you pay a premium for them. But, um, and if we get to that point, I think that Bradish and Rodriguez will definitely fit there. But right now it's probably a little too early in their careers to talk about that. But I do think that if you see another strong season or two from them, then you start to talk about it a little bit. Of course, then from their perspective, it's okay, well, I've already put together quite a resume here. If I can just get through another couple seasons, I get my big bite at the apple. And do I want to restrict myself to just one team when I could potentially get a ton out there? You know, I don't know. So I think with pitchers, it's tougher to get something done early. And that's why I think Bradish and Rodriguez, you're probably not going to see that happen right now. So I'd love to be proven wrong, happy to be proven wrong, but likely not going to happen uh, right now. So going back to the the four players there that were called out in the MLB.com article, let's start with Corbin Burns because I think he's potentially the most straightforward one. So he's new to the team. He's obviously very talented, had what people consider a down year for him last year, but also understanding that his, his bar of performance is much higher than an average MLB player, obviously still spectacular. And, um, he finished, you know, eighth in the Cy Young voting last year. So if that's a below average season, uh, <laughs> even if you want to sign him to an extension, you're going to give him a buttload of money. So I don't, I'm not worried about that too much, but I think for him, it's proximity to free agency that you're worried about in terms of getting an extension done right now. He was even on, uh, the foul territory podcast. Uh, I, I think, I guess right after the trade, and they asked him with an extent about an extension possibility. And he kind of just tap danced around it a little bit, which you totally understand. Like, I don't even know this team yet. Like, yeah, I've talked to uh, uh, Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias once, but I don't know what they're about. Like, I'm probably not about to sign an extension with them just yet. It's it's different from like the Matt Olson trade with the Braves a couple years ago, where he got traded and like instantly signed an extension with them. I believe Matt Olson is from the Atlanta area. Like that's not too surprising to see get done. Like, you know, Atlanta, you know what it's about. You also know the organization, the the Braves have perennially perennially been a competitive contending franchise. Whereas the Orioles, you know, as much as we all love the Orioles, if you're watching this video or listening to this podcast, they have not been the same. I think that this current era of uh, the front office is very exciting and interesting to a lot of players. I think that that, the their um reputation is getting around in a very positive way and you know they're five years in now these aren't new guys on the on the block here these are um guys that have some put some pelts on the wall a little bit in terms of what the Orioles have done recently they surprised in 2022 they won 101 games and an AL East title in, in 2023 and now they're like the talk of baseball I don't think you have people aren't and free agents aren't probably as worried about them as they would have been years ago but even still like you need to see it on a longer term basis i think for your reputation to totally turn around there so i get that from the corbin burns um, perspective like not signing an extension right away second of all he is a boris client which traditionally they like to go to free agency and test the waters and get every single dollar they can and that is totally their right to do that so you understand from that perspective as well and also, like, this is a guy that, as we just said, 
had a quote unquote down year, you know, still 3.39 ERA, almost 200 innings pitched all-star all-star and eighth in the Cy Young voting is, is really spectacular, but I'm sure he expects a little bit more from himself. He's a former, former Cy Young winner. Uh, you know, he's really, really good. Um, so I think when you talk about what the prospective contract could look like, it's going to be, you know, atmospheric in terms of what he can get. So I think let's talk about that real quick in terms of what would an extension for Corbin Burns look like. So I looked up the richest uh, free agent pitcher contracts in MLB history, and, and unsurprisingly, they're all very recent. So the most in terms of total value was just this year, which is Yoshinobu Yamamoto with the Dodgers signing a 12-year, $325 million deal. I think Burns probably isn't going to do a 12-year deal. He's going into his age I think 29 season, age 30 season, Yamamoto is 25. So he's not going to get a 12 year deal, but in terms of that total value, I think maybe he would, he would look at that and say like, Hey, I want to be the, the highest total uh, paid pitcher of all time. Now, does he deserve that? Well, let's look at the next, the second biggest, which is Garrett Cole at nine years, $324 million with the New York Yankees. So he signed that after the 2019 season. So going into 2020, that was his age 29 season. Corbin Burns, let me just check right here. He turned 29 back in October. So this coming season will be his age 29 season. So when he hits free agency, he'd be going into his age 30 season. Uh, Garrett Cole, as I just said, was going into his age 29 season. So he's going to be a year younger, or I'm sorry, Burns will be a year older than Cole was when he went and got that big contract um, that we just talked about. So is he going to get the nine years, 324 million that Garrett Cole got as the, the second highest paid um, contract of all time? I struggle to see that happening either. Now Cole, I think came in as obviously a, a workhorse type, I think, which is similar to Burns came in with fewer awards than Burns. He hadn't won a Cy Young yet. Um, although he was spectacular with the Astros, and certainly was a Cy Young candidate. Hadn't won the Cy Young, though. He has now won his first Cy Young this past season. But I think probably viewed in a similar vein. I think people maybe viewed Cole a little bit better than Burns, but they're on the same plane, I think. So then it's kind of just becomes the age as the differentiator there. It's a whole year different, which for a pitcher is a big deal. So will he get the Garrett Cole nine-year $324 million deal? I struggle to see that happening either. So then we go down another rung and then we're talking about Steven Strasburg and Steven Strasburg signed with the nationals. I believe he signed after his 2019 season as well. I'm trying to verify that. Yeah. After the 2019 season as well, he signed a seven year contract worth $245 million. So you can see that's quite a, quite a drop there. It's two fewer years. Um, and it's $80 million less, $79 million less. Uh, that feels more in line with what uh, Corbin Burns could potentially get. So uh, Strasburg, he came out of 2019. That was his age 30 season. So again, he'll be a year older than uh, Burns will be because Burns is going into his age 29 season. Uh, Strasburg was a year older. 
but Strasburg was spectacular in that walk year. He went 18 and six with the nationals who they won a world series that year, had a 3.32 ERA through 209 innings, which led the league finished fifth in the Cy Young and then 15th in the MVP. And then obviously was really good in the playoffs. So I think that's more in line with what Corbin Burns can expect maybe because this was a few years ago now, obviously inflation these last couple of years has been a little bit different. He could maybe expect to get more than that and fall somewhere between the Garrett Cole deal and the Steven Strasburg deal. So that's obviously going to have him at quite a bit above what this year's um, I think batch of free agent pitchers ends up with Aaron Nola was likely the toast of that class. Now, of course, as I'm recording this, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery are still out there. I don't think Jordan Montgomery is going to surpass Aaron Nola's contract, which was seven years, $172 million to re-sign with the Phillies. Blake Snell, I think, is looking for that. I, I believe I've heard he turned down a seven-year, like $200 million contract already. So Blake Snell likely ends up with more than that. Um, but I think that Corbin Burns, if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking about it objectively, Burns is more of a workhorse type. Snell is more of a five-and-dive type guy who, who gives you five spectacular innings obviously he's won two Cy Youngs now but you know there's value in those extra innings of course I think I'm probably preferring Corbin Burns to Blake Snell so in my mind between the Strasburg seven-year 245 and the Garrett Cole nine-year 324 so you know anywhere in that range that could be another year plus you know 20 million so maybe he ends up at eight years 265 something like that 270 you know that seems reasonable enough for the type of pitcher Corbin Burns is are the Orioles going to go that far? Uh, I struggle to see that happening. Um, not because they don't have the money now. I think they clearly do, but it's a big, it's a big swing. And when you listen to how Mike Elias has traditionally talked about team building, and I know I've talked about this on this podcast above a bunch, and I've been wrong sometimes. I think the last time I was on here, I talked about uh, how they probably weren't going to get a pitcher. And obviously that turned out to be false. They went and got Corbin Burns. Um, but if I just go by Michael Elias's own words, he's talked about signing free agent pitchers and how, you know, when you give these pitchers, these big deals, you know, really that first year is kind of what you're getting. You're going to get probably a really good pitcher for that first year, maybe the second year. And then beyond that, it's kind of a wild card. Are the Orioles willing to give Corbin Burns an eight year, 250 plus million dollar deal, knowing that that's going to pay him until he's in his late thirties. Um, and at the same time, they've got, these other guys we're going to talk about these, the Henderson's Rutschman's holidays, the other plethora of hitters that they've got coming. Plus you've got Radish and Rodriguez that maybe you eventually have to sign them, but at the very least you're gonna to have to pay them their arbitration money in a couple of years. And you're probably going to have to supplement the, the rotation again with an external acquisition at some point. Right? So I struggle to see that if the Orioles can get that done. Um, because also with these, with these big deals, like we know Yamamoto still, he's young and I expect Yamamoto will be very good, at least through these first few seasons. And the Dodgers won't regret that contract, even if when he's 40 or not 40, but when he's, when he's in his mid thirties and he's maybe not as good as he once was, you're still going to get huge value those first few years. Cause he's so young. Cole is a unique situation where his contract has really worked out for them. He's been spectacular. Steven Strasburg, though, that was a disaster. He's gotten hurt and now he was going to retire and now he's not retiring because he wants his money. And obviously you don't want to you don't want to pay him. You don't want a Strasburg situation, although he's obviously had other health issues that Burns hasn't had, to my knowledge. Then below that, you got the Jacob de Grom uh, signing, which 
I think, you know, the Rangers won a World Series, but it certainly wasn't because of the DeGrom signing. Um, I think everybody knew that was a risky one when they did it, but they did it anyway. Carlos Rodon with the Yankees last year, that's been a disaster through year one. Um, We'll see if that changes in the future. But you kind of get the point there is like for every, you know, Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer deal where it works out for the team that signs him, there are the Steven Strasburg deals and the Jacob DeGroms and the Carlos Rodons that, really make you regret it. And these bigger, these bigger budget teams can withstand those blows, but these teams like the Orioles, I don't think can. And even if the ownership group plays the Orioles into a, uh, a different realm of, of like payroll, it's not going to put them to the Mets level that, that the Mets were at last year where they're spending a bajillion dollars a year. It's just not, not realistic. So I think right now, it doesn't look like Corbin Burns is going to be an Oriole beyond 2024. I don't think that bums me out too much. I think I'm fine with a, a gun for hire type situation at the top of the rotation. And you allow Rodriguez and Bradish to grow a little bit there. I, I think I'm fine with that. And you expect that that evolution of those two improving and potentially like a Cade Povich or something coming up and really blasting on the scene this year. That's kind of the life cycle of, of this sort of a thing. And Michael Elias would be fine with, okay, now I don't have to go trade for a an ace because Grayson Rodriguez is an ace now. Like I can just go trade for a number three who's really solid. will give me 170 innings of you know 3.80 ERA baseball. That's easier for me to get than a Cy Young contender. I think he'd be fine with that trade off. So right now Corbin Burns I expect to be a one year Oriole, but I expect him to have a really good season. He's in a walk year. He's going to a park that has been advantageous to uh, you know pitchers like compared to the the previous dimensions at Camden Yards it's been really really advantageous for them so I think Burns will be really good this year and the Orioles will get a comp pick for him and and you know good luck to to DL Hall and Joey Ortiz and that's just the price of doing business so that's the Burns situation so let's talk about the younger guys here because I think there are some unique situations and I think it's there's there's differences between Rutschman and then the Henderson Holiday situation, uh, and and even within Henderson and Holiday, I think there are some, some some differences there that I think contextually matter. So let's talk about Rutschman first. So Rutschman is obviously a really talented player, uh, the best catcher in baseball. I think you can say. Obviously, there might be some guys that are slightly better defenders. You know, Jonah Heim won the Cy Young last year, or Cy Young Gold Glove last year. Um, but Rutschman spectacular offensively and very good defensively. I, I don't think there's any arguing there, but he's a catcher. He's a catcher and he's 26 years old. He just turned 26 this week as I'm recording it. So he's entering his age 26 season. The Orioles have him for the next four seasons, including this one. So that's 24, 25, 26, and 27. And he'll be 26 years old, 27 years old, 28 years old, and 29 years old. So if you're signing him to an extension, you're signing a catcher to an extension that I think you can argue you're not paying for his prime years any longer. You're, you're paying for his downturn. Now he could still be an elite catcher, but there is, I think less value necessarily. And well, I wouldn't even say there's less value there. There's, you're not going to get like that. Those 40 Homer seasons, these guys hitting, you know, 350 or you know these crazy video game numbers i think even when you talk elite catcher you're talking about like solid offense solid above average offense that makes you all-star games doesn't win the mvp awards but is still obviously instead of having a hole at the catcher position you have a guy that is an above average bat which is hugely hugely beneficial but 
how much do you want to pay for that? And do you want to pay for that on a 30 year old's knees, a 31 year old's knees rather than a 25 year old? I'm not so sure about that. And I don't even know what that extension would look like. I think it would be big, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be ridiculous. It wouldn't be these Bobby Witt junior numbers that we're talking about. And people obviously want to connect Rutschman and Bobby Witt because they were in the same draft. It was, are they going to go Witt or Rutschman? Which way are they going to go? They went Rutschman and now they're both good. And Witt plays shortstop. Rutschman plays catcher, both hugely important positions. I think statistically the numbers are obviously different between the two. Rutschman being, you know, a catcher and above average defensive catcher that is kind of well-rounded offensively, doesn't run a lot. Bobby Witt being kind of like that freak of nature, more of that MVP type who hits home runs, steals bases, plays flashy defense. Like they're different, but I think equally value because valuable because of the positions they play and how well they play them. Witt got the big extension. I think Witt's going to make more money than Rutschman does long-term, but that doesn't mean it was necessarily the wrong pick. Uh, but I, so I don't think we should look at Rutschman to get an extension similar to what Witt got. It just doesn't make logical, logical sense. Witt is several years younger, uh, plays a position that is obviously hard on your body. Being a professional athlete is hard on your body in general, but it's not playing major league catcher. Um, so Rutschman, I, I'm not so sure that he's a guy that the Orioles are going to go and say, hey, we want to give you the franchise uh, to to stay stick around. With Henderson, Henderson is more of a comp to Bobby Witt Jr. Because Henderson, uh, let me let me bring it up here. Gunnar Henderson is 22 years old. He'll be entering his age 23 season. He was also in that 2019 draft that Witt and Rutschman went in. And he's got similar profile to Witt. Obviously, Witt's like a freak of nature in terms of stealing bases. He's ridiculously fast, all that stuff. But uh, they both play infield. They play it well. They have power. They have speed. Like Henderson is the Witt comp, not Rutschman. So if the Orioles are going to sign Henderson to an extension, I think that's where you look at the Bobby Witt Jr. contract. So let's talk about the Bobby Witt Jr. contract. It's obviously the top line of that Witt contract is the 11 years, $288 million. But let's talk about how that breaks down. So in 2024, he's going to get a $2 million salary. 25, that raised to $7 million. 26, $13 million. 27, $19 million. So that essentially gets him through his um, team control years, through his arbitration years. He's not going to go through arbitration, obviously, because he signed this extension. Then in 2028, which is would be his first year of free agency if he was going to get there, then it's $30 million, $35 million in 29, and $35 million in 2030. Now, beyond that, the next four years are player option years for $35 million, and then the final three years are club options. Odds are that Witt Jr. is not going to get to those. If he's playing well, Witt Jr. is not going to get to those player option years where he's got, I mean, he'll get to them, but he's not going to pick them up rather because 2031, $35 million is not going to be worth what it is than what it is now. Um, So you expect if Witt Jr. plays like an MVP level player and in 2030, we get there, he'll be what, 30 years old at that point. Um, Let me just look that up to make sure I'm not losing my mind. Yeah, he's born in 2000. So in 2030, he'll be 30. Uh, he's not going to pick those options up. Now, that's the risk for the Royals as well is, you know, if he plays well, um, we're not going to have him anymore at that point. But obviously, you you got good value out of him anyway. So 
if he's playing well those four years he's not going to pick up and then you know if he if he isn't playing well and he does pick all those up by 2035 the club's not going to but obviously at that point it's kind of a sunk cost (laughs) so essentially it's he's playing he's playing through these next four years they're paying him more than he probably would get in uh they're paying him more in 2024 and 2025 uh than they have to they're paying him above the league minimum uh and then in in 26 and 27 he is getting probably less than he would get in arbitration raises i think if you're if you're looking at like the vlad guerrero um arbitration raise that he just got like he bobby witt probably would exceed that but he's not going to get a chance to and then they're going to give him a nice chunk of change in 28 28 29 and 30 so that's kind of what henderson i think would be looking at right now as well is let's pay you out for all the years we've got control of you anyway we'll give you nice little bumps that you know you're getting versus being worried about injured or whatever and then we're going to pay you what's likely below market rate in your first three years of free agency and then beyond that hey handshake we had a great run and good luck to you if you're playing that well that's the henderson map right there and and you know you'd probably add a couple dollars on each one of those because he's signing after wit and you know why would you why would i take less when i know what the market is so that's the henderson deal there there's nothing else to add there if the Orioles want to re-sign henderson to a long-term extension bobby witt jr and his agent which is his dad bobby witt senior have just given you the roadmap Jackson Holiday, I think, is a very different situation. It's interesting because Witt Jr. comes from a dad that played Major League Baseball. Holiday obviously has a dad that played Major League Baseball. Holiday, Matt Holiday played more recently than Bobby Witt Sr., so I think there's a little bit more of a of a savviness there than what Witt Sr. probably has. Um, also, it seems like MLB and the Orioles are like all in on the marketing of Holiday. I feel like I see him all over the place. We just got a tour of his like batting cage house or whatever like and i think that's relevant too because these aren't players that come from or this isn't a player that comes from like uh a hardened background or anything and not to say he's not a tough guy but he comes from a family that has a lot of money has a lot of means and that's probably part of why he's so good they knew exactly how to 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 train and and to practice and to get really good at your craft and and jackson holiday's fantastic and he's really earned that he's earned it to get to this point and to be on the doorstep of making this kind of generational wealth. And that's fantastic. But it also, I think diminishes his probably potential desire to sign an extension like this to say, Hey, you know, you know, no disrespect to you Orioles, but my dad did this for a long time. I know how good I am. I know how much money is out there to make. There's no reason for me to give you a discount because it's not like I'm, I don't have a risk here. I, I have my dad got, you know, generational wealth behind me. He's kind of got the support system that I can go and play the best of my ability. Then I can go to free agency and I can sign wherever I want. And I'll be 25, 26, probably when I'm hitting free agency. And then I can determine where I want to spend the rest of my life. He's a young guy. He's already married. Like he's was committed to Oklahoma state before he signed with the Orioles. Like maybe there's something he wants to be in Texas, which is, you know, not terribly far from Oklahoma versus being on the East coast. Like there's all these, per- these things that these are like people, you know, these aren't, these aren't robots. These aren't automata- automatons that play baseball. Like these are guys that have thoughts and feelings and preferences. And I try to drive that home all the time. And if Jackson holiday, who has a background of a major league dad who understands the industry and has, has some support for him and his brother, Ethan holidays coming right behind him, who seems to be just as talented. Like, this family knows what they're doing in terms of crafting, you know, or, or, or I guess taking care of and, and building baseball talent. 
there's not the need for them to sign these sorts of extensions. Now there's the flip side of that where Jackson holiday could come to Baltimore this year, determine he just really likes it. He likes the stadium. He likes the vibe. He likes all this stuff. He came up through the organization. Granted, it's been really fast. So how much, how much comfort is there? You know, he's just on a mission here. Uh, he can determine he really likes it and wants to stick around. You know, it's, it's up in the air. It's up in, it's his, it's his preference there. You know what I mean? So that can all change too. I think if there's any one player in the Orioles organization of this moment, that you're going to say, hey, he could sign an extension. It's Henderson. Henderson's the guy uh, that you could get it done. You've already seen what he can do. Um, he, I'm I'm totally projecting feelings onto all these guys because I know none of them personally. Henderson doesn't seem like a super outgoing, crazy sort of guy. He's not the rah-rah type that you see some of the other players be. He's sort of a, a subdued, I think is probably the word for Henderson in general. And maybe he's the kind of guy that wants to sign this long-term deal. He's got comfort in the Orioles organization and you get something done. You've already played a nice season plus like let's make you the guy for a long time here. I think Henderson's the one Uh, all these other guys are extremely important to the process. And I think the Orioles should talk to any one of them that they think would be interested and they believe would be productive, you know, in a portion of this contract, I think you're never, if when you're talking about 11 year contracts, potentially nobody's going to be productive for 11 years. But I think that if the Orioles believe in the abilities of these guys, they should, it should certainly be on the table. Um, And yeah, back to Rutschman, just it's the risk of a, a catcher profile paired with the Orioles have Samuel Basayo coming up right behind him. Now we know, there are some defensive questions there, but offensively it seems to all be clicking and he's already played a double a and let's see what happens in 2024. I think that could answer some questions too. And that's like a boring thing. I feel like I say every time I'm on here, but that just happens. That seems to be the way Michael Elias views things too, is like, there's no reason to like overdo stuff to do moves just to, just to like be a step ahead. Like let's wait to get to the step before we, before we make a decision. And that's, you know, they didn't trade Austin Hayes or Cedric Mullins or or Anthony Santander this offseason, despite them having these young guys coming up in Kowser and Kerstad and, and Mayo. It's more of like, OK, like, let's get to 2024, like, and see what these guys can do. And if they can produce, then, OK, now in the offseason, we'll think about potentially trading one of these guys because there's only so many innings to go around. Like, let's let's see what we can do. Same thing with the catcher position is I don't think Basayo is going to play Major League Baseball this year. He just got to double A. There's some defensive stuff to work out. I think he's going to spend all of 2024 in the minors. You'll see what Rutschman does at the major league level. I I expect it to be spectacular, but then you're talking about 2025. That's going to be the first year Rutschman makes some money. He's going to be his first year arbitration eligible. Basayo will probably be in triple A. We'll see if everything's clicking defensively. And then you start to say, okay, is Basaya ready to take over at the end of 2025 or sometime in 2026? And then we're shopping Rutschman. Like, I think those are the way you have to, you got to be patient with it. And that's the way um, Elias has been. And, and that factors back into Burns here where I wouldn't have told you, I know months ago I wanted Burns. Burns was like the guy. He was obviously the most talented and productive pitcher that was potentially on the market, but He's an ace, like no doubt, top of the rotation guy. And that's just not a, a player the Orioles have possessed in a very long time. Uh, I think you got to probably go back to the Mike Messina era to say the Orioles had a no doubt around the league ace on their staff. Uh, that It just hasn't been a thing in, in 25 years. So 
maybe not 25, 20 plus years though. Uh, so that's just kind of a hired gun. And I think the Orioles, they view it that way as we got Corbin Burns. We gave up a guy, Joey Ortiz, who probably was really blocked here anyway. And we gave a DL Hall, who I think obviously is very talented. And I've always said has probably better stuff than Grayson Rodriguez, but just can't harness it. And he's 25. Like we've tried all we can to make him a starter. It's just not happening for us. So what is more valuable to us? A a very good relief pitcher, potentially a closer and a surplus infielder or an ace for one year? Because then you've got the draft pick, which sort of evens out with the comp pick the Orioles are going to get. The comp pick will be lower than the the uh, the pick they sent to the Brewers, but somewhat evens out there. So it becomes sort of the the infielder and the reliever for the ace. And I think it's it's a deal that the Brewers probably end up getting the more value out of long term. But the Orioles are going to get so much value packed in, and I don't think they need to then overextend themselves with with a big Strasburg esque extension that. To me, there's no indication it's going to backfire in, in that same way because Burns has shown himself to be durable uh, these last several years, but you never know. And I think just from some of the words that Michael Elias has said historically is I don't I don't believe they're going to go that way. So that I think kind of kind of sums up what I wanted to talk about with extensions. I desperately want them to get a Gunnar Henderson deal done. I would love that. And again, these these are people. These are players that you can't force to do anything that they aren't motivated to do themselves. And if, if none of them want to sign an extension, that's, that's their, their uh, prerogative as well. And the Orioles have to be prepared for that as well. So that's kind of all I've got to say about extensions. We'll see. Um, Next up on this feed, we're probably going to start talking about some, some previews of 2024 in general. I know I've been talking to Jesse behind the scenes and he wants to get something up about our rotation. So that should be coming out to you sometime this week. We'll talk about that. Try to preview spring training a little bit. Uh, I think we want to talk about some position battles. I think there's fewer of them this year than there have been in recent seasons, but we'll try to get into that as well. So, you know, definitely stay tuned for all of that. If you've really enjoyed what you've seen this off season, uh, it's going to be at least two episodes per week once the season gets going. So be prepared for that. Um, but yeah, we just really appreciate all the support you guys have shown our numbers on YouTube. Have, YouTube have been great recently. I think the podcast um, feed has been awesome as well. So if you're not subscribed to any one of those, please do. We're on YouTube. You just search our name, The Warehouse Podcast will pop up and then search on your preferred podcast app for us, The Warehouse Podcast or Orioles Podcast will probably pop up one of the first few and give us a listen and a subscribe there. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Give us a comment, a five-star rating would be awesome on the podcast feeds. Leave a comment about what you'd like to see us do next. And yeah, if you've got any issues with the show, you'd like to see things improved, please reach out to us, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. We'd love to handle it that way versus getting any sort of negative feedback um, because we're trying to, we're trying to grow our numbers here and really get to every Orioles fan that's interested. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. You can also follow us on uh, Twitter and threads at the warehouse pod. And I think that's about all I've got. So until next time, this has been the warehouse podcast. I've been Tyler and uh, thanks for listening.